You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. And you buy lottery tickets. We know uh, the Gemara says that you can't gamble. One of the reasons why you can't go to a gambling place, you can't uh, go to a, a crap game or, 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 or play poker, is because we assume that when even though you're, each person is sitting at the poker table and is deciding to put the money in, uh, whoever wins that round, the person really doesn't mean it. And when you take the money, it's called, uh, it's, it's, it could be a chash gezel. It has to do with, does a person really think they're going to lose? That's the sugi of asmachta. Asmachta means uh, when a person really hopes he's going to win. And he's so sure of himself. And when he puts the money in, he thinks he's one of the great players. Does he really mean to give it to you? So in, in most gambling, you have that type of situation where the player really doesn't really want to lose the money, doesn't want to give you the money. He thinks he's going to win. In that situation, taking the money might be an Isur, and it might be Gezel Mamish, or it might be a Gezel de Rabbonon. And because of that, that's one of the reasons why we say people that we call the Mesachke Bekubia are well, possible. Yes. Most of the gambling nowadays goes against the house. Okay. So it's not against another person. So okay, how so do you describe a, that? All right, that's a good question, Moshe. Uh, I, I was talking about a poker game among individuals, or a, a dice game among individuals. Moshe is talking, but what about when you go to a casino? Over there, you're playing against the casino. So there, um, just, you know, that's a good question. Do you say the casino really doesn't want to give the money? Are you stealing from the casino? Could be, even though it's, even though the question is, is the casino is a group of investors who own the casino, right? Maybe, I don't know, you have, to ask, you have to ask the president. He knows about casinos as well. You know, who owns the casino? Is the casino a corporation? Is the casino the, the person himself? So it could be stealing from a corporation is also called stealing. If they, right? So I think, Moshe, that's the way I would answer your question. It's a good question. I have to think about it. The question is, when you have a, uh, a corporation that you're playing against, does it, does it also work that way? Or maybe it's only an individual, the Evadin of Asmachta. It could be you're correct. In a casino situation, things might be different. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, so the question was, we know that in, in, in the Gemara, that's, you, that guy's possible to aid us. So isn't that when you're, when you're buying a lottery ticket? Aren't you basically uh, playing against... Um, uh, you know, the person doesn't think they're going to uh, to lose. They don't, ex- right? So when you, so isn't winning, so to speak, like part of gambling? So he says, no, that's not true. says, because the the let's say it's some sort of organization, a raffle, or whatever it is, uh, a, a lottery. They want to pay the prizes. Right? Let's say you get four numbers right, three numbers right, whatever it is. You get a certain amount of money. They, they want those payments to happen. Why? Because if it turns out that people say that, that you can't get your prizes, so nobody's going to buy it. There needs to be 
prizes given. Otherwise, the raffle isn't going to happen. The, the, the lottery isn't going to happen. Um, there was, you might know about this, um, there was this uh, thing that the FBI was involved in. I started watching a documentary about it, about the McDonald's uh, game. Uh, you might have heard about it, uh, Moshe, or I don't know, that there was this game that they had where, the, of course, the, 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 it was all Ganevish shtick. The people that were winning were not really true winners, but they had to make a big deal about them that there were actual winners to keep everybody coming to, to, to play the game. Uh, and the FBI investigated it. There was a very big lawsuit. But it's very important for the Lottery Commission to show the big check given and the fact that people are actually winners out there. So therefore, they, it's, it's not like, like let's say you play, uh, and this might be a question too about the, the casino. The, you know, does the casino want winners to walk away from the table sometimes? When it comes to a lottery, they want there to be winners. And therefore, if you happen to be lucky enough, or HaKadosh Baruch allows that mazel to happen, that you win, you don't have to be worried about the fact that you sort of stole the prize, like a, like a person who was gambling. They're giving it Barats and Gomer. Um, and therefore, uh, you don't have to say, let's say the people don't win. The, the, the money that, um, that you pay for it. It's not like a gambling. Why? Um, because what is it? What is it? What is gambling? Rizalman Achemia said, "Gambling would be if you agree to pay later. In other words, okay, let's let's roll the dice, and if I lose, I'll give you double. If you win, you'll take double. The assumption is when I said that, I didn't mean it, and I don't really want to give you double." But I'm so sure you're not going to get double that I say that. So my hischaivus is, therefore, not a real hischaivus. And if you took the money from me, you might be stealing from me. That's the logic behind why we treat a gambler as if he's a thief. Now, there's another smart the Gemara says, is because why isn't he learning Torah? All he's doing is hanging out by the crap tables and, and playing dice. That's another svar that he's not Isaac be Yeshuvo Shalom, that he doesn't really help the world as much. But on the tzad, the gambling is also because it's a srach geneva, Rav, uh, Rav Zalman says, it's not when you pay for a lottery ticket, you've already paid the money. So, so, it's, so it's not like you've engaged in any sort of gambling. You pay and you get your, you get, and you get your uh, ticket and your ticket might win. But when you give the money, you give it totally and completely. So um, the the lottery commission that takes the money isn't involved in in gambling either. When they take it, it's not like they they they, they created a crap game. They created a, a poker game. That's not what was going on. When you pay for a ticket, you pay for it up front, and you understand that there's a risk. So there's no. It's not connected to what the Gemara talks about. Now. Rav says, maybe it's not the uh, the best thing in the world to always spend money on lottery tickets, but I but it's it's definitely not connected to uh, what the Gemara speaks about in terms of being awesome. Um I have also, to tell you, go ahead, Mr. Sutker, go ahead. Also, the fact that the person doesn't make a li- make a living out of uh, 
make his livelihood out of gambling. Right. So that's a good point. If a uh, if a person is a professional gambler, it's possible. The, the Gemara says that might not be the person we want. That is a person who we don't accept as as, as a proper aid. But you're right. A person who who buys a lottery ticket is not a professional gambler. Right. He's just somebody who who decides to to buy the tickets to see. I have to tell you, my grandfather Vasholim was a dayan in the city of Lodz. I've spoken about him often. Uh, my father's father, uh, he didn't live past, he might have been 40 when he died. I think he might even have been younger. Um, and uh, he died in the cholera epidemic of 1917-18 in, in Lodz. And even though he was a dayan and a darshan, he was a, he sat on the court uh, in, in Lodz with, with very choshev rabonim, and he was a, it was a Talmud of the great River Fol Shapiro, Mitziv's son-in-law. My father was shown, told me that Erev Shabbos, he would sell lottery tickets. People knew he was a big Talmud Chacham, but he, he, he didn't have Hadamim Afarnas, his wife and children. So that was one of the things he did, was he would buy the tickets, and then you would sell them at a certain profit. So the lottery was very, very common, not just in Eretz Yisrael here in America, but in Europe. This was the way Nebuch, Talmud HaChachamim, like my grandfather, were able to get Parnosa from. And this psak vindicates the fact that it's not like a, like a, a dover that's, that's ugly and, and, and usser. Um, what about, there's something called, you might know about this motion, it's called the toto, which has to do with the, the scores from the soccer games. Soccer game, but the most all the soccer game in Israel happens in uh, Shabbos. Shabbat. So right. that's so how does that so how does that work? The Toto. To, just explain that how it works. That it's same thing that like you gamble on the uh, let's say football game in America. Uh, so 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 you 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 try to guess what the scores are going to be, right? Yeah, who's going to win and what 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 by what difference? And if you're right, you get a certain amount of money. Yes. And who do you get the money from? From the from the I commission? Mean, it's the same as uh, the Mifala Pais. Uh, uh-huh. They collect the money from everybody. It's gonna co- it costs you to buy the, uh, the each cartis. You buy the cartis, you fill it out, and you uh, send it in. And, uh, right, and then if it turns out that the, that you that you guess the score uh, of who won, then you get a certain amount of money, right? Yep. Okay. So they asked them about it. And, 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 and he said, maybe that should be called Schar Shabbos because the only way you get your money is because they played football on Shabbos and, and they played and they played the soccer games on Shabbos. So he, once again, Rav Zalman Achemia, Zatzal said, that's not us, sir. Why? Because it doesn't come directly from Chilu Shabbos. It's only because you guess, look, you're not happy that they're playing. You're not keeping them playing. You're not out there driving the people to the to the soccer stadium and, and helping them have the whole event. All you are is guessing what you think the scores are going to be. So the the actual, it's not called Schar Shabbos. He says maybe by having these uh, uh, these tickets, it keeps the soccer games going. And maybe there's a chashash that the Machali Shabbos, but it definitely is not that you earn something from Schar Shabbos. It sounds like Rav Zalman Nehemiah is, is, is saying, look, it, we're not going to, 
it's not the best thing to do, but it, don't think that you got a scar from Shabbos. Another thing that happens, and I, I know many people, uh, my son was thinking about doing this, buying a real beautiful Megillas Esther cloth. Now, I remember that, um, that, uh, what they cost, I think a, a, a new, beautiful Megillas Esther, was it about, uh, $1,500, Moshe? What is it, about $2,000? What would it, would it cost to, to, to have a Megillas Esther? Uh, Nowadays, it's about two grand. About 2000 right? So let's say, now I happen to have, I speak about my grandfather, I happen to have, you might have seen me bring it to Shoal sometimes, I have the Megillus Esther from my grandfather um, that was salvaged. It was actually the, the, the Megillah from my great-grandfather that my grandfather had, and he gave it to his brother, uh, who I'm named after, who brought it to Memphis, and then my father had it, and then my brother took it, and then my brother had I don't know where he got the money from, but my brother got a Megillah Esther that was... The Megillah the Melech? He got a Megillah Esther that was Mahudar. Is now, it a Megillah the Melech? I'm not sure what, what you mean, Moshe. You know, in every column, the uh, word, the first oh, word oh, oh, is oh. Melech. Oh, it could be that's, it could be that's one of the things that is, that, that is there. My Megillah has a number of places where it's marked out, and it's not Mahudar. So let's say you have a Megillah, like I do. Do you do you need to buy a, a nicer one that it should be Mahuderet? Um, so Rav Zalman Nechemia said, first of all, even though you could say on the Megillah that it's not Mahuder, it's very hard to say a Megillah's Esther is possible because we don't have the same Kpedas that we have on a Sefer Torah. First, one of the Milas is it should have 11 columns and no more than that. So let's say your Megillah isn't that way. So it's not a Megillah Mahudr, but to spend money on it, he doesn't say you should, especially since it's only a mitzvah de Rabbanon. You're only fulfilled once a year. And also, according to many shittas, just hearing it is enough. You don't have to have one to read. So therefore... If you could afford to spend the money, why not? Well, that's the question. Are there other things to spend on? But as Alman Nechemia said, look at things in perspective, what this is. First of all, it's not puzzle. Secondly, it's only the Rabbanit. Third, you might not even need your own Megillah. Just hearing the Megillah is enough. And if, and if you're short on money and you have other places where the money could go, for example, for a kosher mezuzah in your house or tefillin, those, the hidur on a mezuzah is more than a Megillah. So you should be more mockbid on the mezuzahs that you have because there, there could be a lot of questions and those are dinindam daraisa and you need a mezuzah on your house all the time. So it's just putting things in perspective. You're right, Moshe. He's not blaming someone who spends the money. But clearly, if it's a lot of money, you need to have your, uh, you need to have your priorities. And that's part of what a Pesach does for you. Speaking about priorities... Uh, a chasna. Last night we talked about a psak from Rav Geli about a girl who's not a psula, what do you do at the wedding? And we saw the type of seichel ayosher. Here's another seichel ayosher that I, I'm surprised that nobody does this, but it's so poshit. We know that the minag is to scream mazotov, right? Now when does that scream usually done? Right after the chasna breaks the cup. Now, why do we 
why do we scream Mazel Tov right after the cup is broken? Because we want to say that the cup breaking is a symbol of the Horbin. The cup breaking is a symbol of the fact that you know, we're sad, we remember Yerushalayim, we realize that our Simcha is not Shalayim, but now that's over, and then we say Mazel Tov to say, now we're B'Simcha. Rav Zalman Achemi said, this is what my father-in-law, Rav Zalman Orabach, explained. But Rav Zalman Achemi added a knech. He said, you shouldn't be saying Mazel Tov as if the cup is broken. Because that sounds like you, you're saying Mazel Tov on something which is an act of Hurban. The cup being broken by the Chosan is a sign that we don't have the Gula a sign of what the Chorben Yerushalayim. To say Mazel Tov right after the cup is broken is, 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 is some, there's a dissonance there. So, therefore, what Rav Zalman thought was smarter, we're going to sing in Eshkechon Yerushalayim, right? And while they're singing that song and people are feeling what it means that we still don't have Yerushalayim Abnuya and we still don't have Mashiach, there, while the singing is going on, that's when Zalman Nechemia said the chasen should break the kais. And then when the song is over, okay, now you can start the music. But it shouldn't be like everybody has it, which, ah, the cup is broken, Mazel tov, they broke the cup. I heard in one chatuna that the Mesadeh Kedushin stood there and said, we're gonna, he's going to break the uh, course. It's not doesn't mean that he should say Mazel Tov. Think about it, what happened. That's why he's breaking uh, the course. So, uh, uh, so that's a, is, that's exactly what Rizal Nechemi said to do. Yes. But, oh, but 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 it's, most of the time, everybody's waiting for the cup to break, right? So they can scream Mazel Tov. So logically, as you can see, Rizal Nechemi and other G'daylum understand. Um, there's a question, especially today, about where do you trust doctors and how much do you trust doctors for? Um, so some say, well, a doctor can tell you maybe, but Rav Zalman said, not when it comes to DNA evidence. Not when they're telling you something that they got out of the, your DNA. Um, for example, if it's the doctor's opinion, and you could say like this or could say like that. And maybe it's about masking. I don't know uh, about uh, social distancing. I'm not sure that that possibly could be hachra uh, and the shikha wadas. But if it's something that they're able to determine about actualities, he says, like with DNA, that's like the truth. That's not something that that you get from a doc. That's not a hachra. That's obviously very obvious. Um Zalman Nechemia said further, uh, he argued with the great Chassam Sefer. Chassam Sefer said that it's true, we're going to be so on the doctors about Pikuach Nefesh. Pikuach Nefesh, we're not going to have the minion. Pikuach Nefesh, whatever it is, we're going to, to do this, even when we're going to because the doctors are telling us Pikuach Nefesh. So Chassam Sefer said, Pikuach Nefesh means we're worried about the possibility of life expiring. It's a suffix. And, be, and because the doctor's telling us, and we're worried about the chance of someone dying or someone being whatever, so therefore the Isser gets pushed away. But it's a din and lakula. It's suffik pikuach nefesh that we're always makel. So it, it's, it's, it creates a suffik, 
And then you have a right to be makel on Suffolk to be nefesh, or to be machmer to save a life. That's the way it works, according to Aksam Sefer. So Rav Zalman said, even though he's Aksam Sefer, it doesn't seem to be correct. What's his proof? Let's say we know there's halacha in Parshas Mishpatim, that if somebody hits the other guy, and he's nafal mishkav, and he could, and what happens? Umei samuka, the person dies, even though it took a long time. He gets in the hospital, and it turns out, or whatever it is, a couple of weeks later, he's dead. So we, the person who hit him is in prison up until that point. Once the person dies, we take him out of prison, and we give Adus, and we, and, we, and, and we kill the guy. Now, how do you know that he died because of the wound that was inflicted? How do you know that he died because of the, the other guy hit him? That's because the doctors tell you. Who else could tell you that? It didn't happen with some other infection. It's based on the doctors who are standing by and taking care of him. So you see that we don't just connect the dots and say, well, you hit him and now he's dead. We, we, we investigate the situation and we ask the doctors, hey, is, do you think he died because of this? And it's because of them that we're actually killing a person. So here you see that it isn't just to save a life. Based on what doctors say, you actually kill someone. You actually don't kill them. You bring them to Misa's Bezden. So here you see that doctors even have a koach to be machmir uh, in pikuach nefesh to actually to cause a person to die. Um, I was very surprised by this psak. Dira biyishuv shomedet rekaz manrav. Now again, maybe this, there are places in America like this as well. But you know in Eretz in Rome, Moshe, right? There are places where they were building, um, they're like building a new yeshuv and like the house is there and nobody has moved into it. Um, yeah. And it could be part of it is because, and, and, and you, you try to find who the owner is and they couldn't find who the owner is. But there's this big house and it's got rooms and you could be in there and nobody is there. It's like it was built and they can't discover who's connected to it. So Rav Zalman Nechemia said that it's mutter for a person to break into that house and, and, and set up life there. Why? Look, it's sitting there empty. The Balabayas is not renting it. So clearly he's not involved. He doesn't plan on renting it. And even though... Um, you, if you didn't have this house to live in, you'd have to pay good money somewhere else. You don't have to pay based on the Gemara and Baba Kama and the Shulchan Aruch Mishpat. In fact, if you ever find the guy, you could tell him you did him a taiva. Because based on the Gemara and Baba Kama, someone living in the house protects the house better. Now, let's say to get into the house, you have to break the lock. Okay, you can break it, and and you just get him a new lock. The fact that you have to break the lock doesn't mean you now have to send money to the person when you find out who it is. And therefore, again, it's a very, very liberal psak. The squatters could go in to these places 
and live there and not have to pay. This uh, will end with this psaac from Zalman Nechemia. Let's say um, a, a kala teacher um, uh, is, is a, a girl comes to the kala teacher and she says, look, I'm not really dati completely and I'm not going to keep all the taras HaMishpocha. But, you know, this is what we do. I can't keep all these humras. I can't do the archokos. I'm just telling you right now. What are you supposed to do? So, Rav Zalman Nechemi was thinking about this, Shiloh. And he said, if the Kala teacher knows, the Madricha, that the girl, the bride, isn't going to keep the Lochas, she means it. So, maybe, when you teach her, teach her only the Dinam Daraisa. Now, this is a very big Chiddush. Meaning, What's one of the things I'm talking about? Waiting five days, and then another seven. Those aren't dinim daraisa. That's the chumra of Rabzeira. That all. I agree. Bnei... I agree. I think it's it's brilliant. <laughs> right, the, but but that's that is one of the biggest chumras that Klal Yisrael has. Now this this girl comes to the Kala teacher and wants to be taught about keeping Tyrus Hamishpocha. But she tells you she's not going to keep uh, the halachos. I can't keep them all. So you know that you've got to give her, uh, you can't give her the, 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 the full package, the package with all the dinim derabonah, because she's not going to keep it. So, and not anything. And she's going to sleep with her husband as a nida daraisa. So there's a svara, Rav Zalman says, to teach just what the, what's a nida from the Torah and what's not, and how you become tahar. Otherwise, she might if you give her the whole package, she might just walk away and not do anything. Now, however, you could say that if she you do that, people will say, ah, oh, she'll go and say, yeah, my this rabbi taught with this kalo teacher, and she's from this Beis Yaakov, and she she's from this uh, institution. You see, the rabbis are not machai of you to keep all the lochos. So, therefore, it might be a problem. Even though for this girl, it's a benefit, but it might lead to the idea that, the, 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 in the attitude, in the greater community, that we're not makbar on these halachos. So, what Rav Zalman came up with instead was, Teach the halachos, but tell her this is from the Torah and emphasize this is from the Torah. This is what the rabbis say. Now, now it's up to her. She was taught correctly. She was taught exactly. And now she'll decide. And you're sort of hinting to her and telling her, at least this way she'll know. And Clearly, Rav Zabnachem says it really depends. There's not one answer to this. Now, when Rav Zabnachem was asked about this, he explained he knew about the famous Yamshul Shlomo. The Marshal writes that to teach Torah 
and Dr. Kogan, you would appreciate this, to teach Torah lo nechonim. You know it's wrong, but you teach it because it's what they want to hear. The marshal calls that yarog valyavor, because what you're doing is you're falsifying the Torah to them. Now, um, Shlomo Zalman said, Zalman Nechemi's father-in-law, that if there's an issue of pikuach nefesh involved, if you teach it with all its strictness, then you have a right to falsify the Torah if there's a question of somebody uh, perhaps not living because of it. Now, Rav Zalman Nechemi would say over, we know one of the great Torah teachers of the last 200 years, or maybe even 500 years, was Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. And we know that he worked with people that were not religious. And what he would do is would he would work with them in gradations, trying to stop one level first. In fact, he came to the city of Mamo uh, towards the Memo, latter. Memo. I know Memo. it very well. Yeah. Where Memo. is that? In, in Russia? In, uh, it used to be Prussia, Germany, now it's Lithuania. Right. And we know, yeah. now, we know over there, everything was dependent on the shipping. Uh, Correct. Uh, it's a port. Yes. A shipping port there. Yes. And all the Jews, that was their business. And they owned the ships and, and the containers. Yes. So basically, the, the port was working and, and, and the Jews, they were making their money. So Yistro Salanter was living there. And he gave a drosha to the to the people in Shul. And he said, look, I understand. You need to work on the uh, at the ship, on Shabbos, uh, to load and unload. That's, I understand. You can't stop commerce from happening. However, do you need to write everything down? Does, does it have to be written down by, by, by the Jews there? Can someone else write it? Could you remember it? Do something else by not writing it? So the the people that were there, they agreed. Yeah, yeah. I guess. All right. I guess we can. We'll keep Shabbos. We'll stop writing. Then a number of Shabbosim later, Rabbi Yisrael came to the shul and he said, "Look, I want to. I want to revisit the the discussion about unloading the containers. Uh, You know, um, unloading the containers that arrive. You can't let it sit there. I understand that." But do we have to ready the new containers as well? Can that? It would seem to me that that's not as 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 as, as important. So, little by little, um, that is how he got a group of them to stop being involved in their business. So sometimes you need not to lie, but to realize who your who your audience is, and um, and, and and again, that is. Uh, in many ways, the attitude we have to have for people as well, the Yisrael Salanter attitude, and that's what Avzalman Achemia wanted to bring uh, to this psak. He said, Avzalman Achemia, I don't know where this was, but I have a feeling that this was somewhere um, in New York. He said, we know there was a school in, in America um, that uh, they would read the Megillah before Purim. In other words, on Tainus Esther. Why? Because they knew the kids would go home and they wouldn't they wouldn't go to shul at all. So it, you're, it's mutter to have a Kriyas Megillah even beforehand. 
Now, obviously, in a place where people are just going to say, hey, let's, we're going to read the Megillah early and go, oh, that's us, sir. But you have to know the situation. One last thing. Um, let's say you're given uh, a rain check. Well, not a rain check. You're given store credit. Let's say you buy an object uh, in, in, in a uh, in, in a store. Okay. Now, um, and my daughter-in-law is very, very. I don't know if she's so shocked by it anymore. But when she first came to America, she couldn't believe the fact that you can go to a store and get your money back. That's very difficult, I, I believe, in Eretz Yisrael, once you buy something, to, to bring it back, right, Moshe? I think it doesn't, doesn't come so easy. But um, there was a store where they wanted to return the merchandise. Now, Zalm Nechemia said it's not because there was some cheating going on or it, was, it wasn't uh, some false advertising. And the owner said, look, I'm not going to give you your money back. I'll tell you what. I'll give you store credit that you can have this amount of money to buy something for free. So now you have this document of store credit. Can you sell that to someone? Can you say, look, I don't know if I'm going here, but you, you find someone and she says, hey, look, I've got this uh, store credit for $100. I'll sell it to you for 90 or whatever. Do you have a right to do that? So, um, Rav Zalman said, look, the owner of the store did not have to do anything. It wasn't a mekachtos. It wasn't, oh no, you just don't like the product. You don't like what you have. He's not, even if it's a store policy money that we will we, 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 we'll make you satisfied, in terms of Allah, he didn't have to do anything. Now, he decided that he was going to give you store credit. So, what does that mean when a person gives you store credit? He wants you as a customer. And he wants you to be able to come and buy something from the store that you'll be happy with at another time. But not somebody else who's anyway coming in the store. He wants you to be satisfied and be a, a customer. But for you to go to, out on the street about someone who's coming into that store and sell it to him or advertise that you have something for that store, that's not why the person gave the credit. He only gave the credit to you for that purpose. So therefore, Rav Zalman Paskin, again, very logically, that it's usher to to sell it to anyone else, unless you you call the owner up in the store and say, "Look, I have this credit from you. W- w- would you honor it if it be given to someone else?" I think from all of these psalkim, whether we agree with them or not, we see once again the seichel ayosher of a great pesik, and <laughs> learning these things I think helps us develop our seichel ayosher about how we should approach halacha and how we have to understand it. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.